Blog Talk Radio. You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. to have personal responsibility, political accountability, and corporate culpability. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. We must eliminate poverty. I don't care what color the person or child I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with guest co-host Latrice Ross. Welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of Intelligent Radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning to all the truth seekers out there. We are so glad to have you on this morning. Hello, Latrice. How you doing, Queen? I'm say hello to you. Thank you for jumping back in the saddle with me one more one more time on an early Saturday morning. So thank you, Queen, for being with us. We also have a special guest on, but I'll say have you say hello to the truth seeker, and then we'll introduce our special guest as well. Good morning. I'm happy to be with you again. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Uh, absolutely. Our special guest. Without further ado, is a friend of mine, Brother Daniel Jackson. Thank you for coming on this morning, King, for this, I would say, sensitive topic, as I always like to brag about, as you heard in the intro, you know, the conversations America's afraid to have. That's kind of how I brag about the Mental Dialogue talk show, and you kind of stepped up to the plate to come on this morning. So if you will, King, say hello to all the truth seekers out there, and I'll go ahead and let people know the let people know the show title, and then you can introduce yourself and give your back, a little bit of your background miscarriages what's a man to do and so thank you again king for stepping up i reached out and this is a topic a lot of people are you know necessarily not able to or want to bring to the public and i understand it so i thank you for you know jumping in this morning so if you will say hello to the truth seekers and give a little bit of your background nathaniel thank you for being with us well good morning uh, i'm happy to be here uh my name is nathaniel or everybody calls me nate no problem no big deal um and let's see, uh, I, I've got two kids, and uh, my wife and I, actually, we had to try for eight years before we had our first kid. So um, wow. we've kind of been through, um, with you will, just the problems with fertility and, and miscarriages a lot. And so when I saw your uh, request for people to call in, 
I was like, you know what? I think I think I might be able to at least help out or you know um, move this conversation in a positive direction. So I figured to reach out and and enjoy the morning with you guys. Hey, again, thank you for being with us. Um, yeah, I reached out a weeks ago, and um, you know, understandably, I, you know, I didn't get a whole lot of response. And again, understandably, and I'll say, you know, for myself, what I'll say for myself is that this is a conversation I've never had before, and I was preparing for it this week and talking to people. A lot of people say, hey, this is a conversation, you know, never really had. Um, Latrice, you know, again, thank you for being with me. And so what I would ask you, Latrice, I'm going to start with you um, in the sense of, the, you know, again, the idea of this morning's discussion, miscarriages, what's a man to do? And so often this conversation is thought of, obviously, from the woman's standpoint, which is, you know, clear and evident, but at the same time as a woman, um, is this a conversation you've had not only with other women but ever, in a sense, from the man's perspective, the role for someone like a mate who had, in a sense, as he just told us, endure eight years of trying to do that. Have you, heard, have you ever had this discussion from a man's perspective? Again, I'm asking kind of from both. Do, do you as ladies, as women, have you had this discussion with other women? But even more so, again, coming from the man's perspective, what are your thoughts on have you ever had that conversation as well? Go ahead, Queen. Um, to be honest, I've never even considered it. Um, and in hindsight, I, I see that's wrong because um, I'm certain that they experience a loss just like the woman does. So um, I think that our society needs to be more um, more inclusive when um, this happens to a couple because they both have lost a child. I think it's focused on the woman because she's carrying the child, but, you know, in the man is emotionally invested as well, and so um, never had the discussion, but definitely looking forward to engaging in this discussion this morning. Uh, absolutely, and if I could say this, and I'll get more of your thoughts, Nate, as well. Um, you know, again, as I said, I've never had this conversation, and so um, the idea is just to lay this out for you know for people that are tuned in. The idea, you know, in a sense, is to help women and men learn about something that they unfortunately may have to deal with, you know, with the significant other or their wife even per se. And so it's just a, a concept to say, okay, you know, what was it like from, you know, your perspective may in having to deal with, um, you know, you, you and your wife, like you say, dealing with this and, and, you know, congratulations on, in a sense, being successful. You know, I definitely follow you, and I love, you know, seeing the pictures that you put up of your family or whatever. So, you know, as joyous as those moments are, again, as you just mentioned, you know, it was kind of a long time getting there. And so um, I'll turn the question even back to you. Have you ever really, in a sense, had this conversation before this moment just to get a perspective, and you've been through it? So maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but, again, that's the basically the foundation for why we're having this discussion this morning. So, yes, what about yourself? Have you been in these discussions, especially going through it? Maybe you have. Go ahead, King. Yeah, yeah. I think um, we have had a lot of discussions. Oh, I haven't had a lot of discussions with um, with other men, except for if other men have come to me and said, hey, you know, my wife is dealing with this. And and from there, it's kind of been a vector to be able to start um, – a conversation on on what you're going, what is going on, and what uh, you're going through, 
um, I think one of the biggest things that, that this touches on isn't the child, but how your relationship with your significant other, your partner, um, handle grief. Um, a lot of times because miscarriages happen in the first trimester, typically the first 10 to 12 weeks of pregnancy, that people don't think it's real. And so there's a lot of struggling about, should I feel this way? Should I not feel this way? A lot of women, um, not to speak on people, I don't, uh, I'm not one of, but a lot of women struggle with um, blaming themselves, thinking they did something wrong. Um, and as as a man, you know, you're not pregnant. You know, you are you are the partner in 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 the in in the pregnancy, but you are not carrying. So you feel a lot of people feel like I can't say anything or I can't do anything or or they wonder if it's okay to be feeling upset. Is it okay to be to be um, grieving? Um, um, someone or something that's not there anymore. And um, I think just like empirically from a personal perspective that um, this is something that's under-discussed in not only our community but all communities um, in that uh, there there just isn't a uh, – there isn't a place for, um, if you will, there isn't a place for, for grieving. When it comes down to having kids, there is not a place for understanding that to go as you originally envisioned them when when you start trying or attempting to have kids. You know, it's something I just thinking about off the top of my head. This is not even covered in popular media. You know, I remember the first time I watched, I was watching a television show that had absolutely nothing to do with this, and um, they had a scene where one of the protagonists in the series and his his uh, partner. Uh, were got pregnant and they were really excited, and then a couple episodes later they had a uh, a miscarriage, and um, I remember my reaction to it and reaction to the 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 storyline that played out around it got me really angry because it was like if you will all the other characters in in the episode were just kind of rolling on, and there was no sense of anyone saying, hey, wait a minute, stop. This would be, there's going to, you know, the man's going to have a reaction. Not only the woman, but the man's going to have a reaction in this situation. And so it kind of just kind of opened my eyes to the fact that, especially a lot of things that are emotionally, like men are just told that, hey, you know what, this is hard, just roll on. Mm -hmm. You know, this is this is uncomfortable, but, you know, we find a way to deal with it. And in a lot of cases, that is the exact opposite reaction to have when, you're dealing with something as personal as loss of loss of a child. Yeah, that makes sense. Let me jump in real quick and go to a quick break. And what I would say, just in reference to you making that, like you said, it's just that that pop culture reference thing on a show that even in them attempting to do it, you got angry feeling like they still didn't handle it correctly. So to their credit, they were trying to bring it to the table, but unfortunately it felt it seems like listening to you, it left out a lot of reality. So that's what we will definitely be discussing and getting into, mm-hmm. as you said, you know, from a male's perspective, obviously your own perspective, and, you know, just, you know, what has that been like? So we're going to go to a quick break. When we mm-hmm. come back, we'll get hot and heavy, and we'll open up the phone lines for our listeners out there as well. Listen to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We'll be right back. Well, all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at MoneyMotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yeah. And I love the message on it too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most 
It's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still know it's me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. Even walk. Michelle Obama is opening up for the first time about suffering a miscarriage years before she became the first lady. I felt lost and alone, and I feel I felt like I failed because I didn't know how common miscarriages were because we don't talk about them. And there was this surprising revelation in the exclusive ABC News interview. She used infertility treatments to conceive Malia and Sasha. The biological clock is real because... Egg production is limited, and I realized that mm. as I was 34 and 35, we had to, to, to do IVF. People are going to learn things that they never knew about her and the way she freely talks about infertility. Michelle spoke to GMA's Robin Roberts. We're talking about some really real stuff here. I know. Like so many couples, they put off having children at first because of their careers, and then when they decided to have children, they thought, oh, that's going to be easy, and it was anything but, which, again, a lot of couples go through. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with guest co-host Latrice Ross, our special guest this morning for miscarriages, what's a man to do is friend of mine, Nathaniel Jackson, but go by Nate. So Brother Nate, if you will, you just heard that cut. Um, Michelle Obama, you know, obviously um, loved in our community, you know, surprised everybody to a certain extent with her latest book, sharing her own life story. And so as you hear that cut, but probably already was aware of her situation just due to, again, it was publicly announced as she, as she was leading up to a book tour. Um, as you hear that, um, you hear um, Roberts at the end kind of saying, hey, a lot of couples kind of do it this way, and, and, and it ends up being a lot harder than they expected. So as I heard that and saw that, I thought about, in a sense, was that your scenario with um, your significant, with your, with your wife, per se? Um, but, again, you can kind of, you know, bring it to the table yourself. Actually, it wasn't. <laughs> um, okay. No, we didn't. We didn't um, needed to go um, the fertility route. Actually, we were. That is something that no, we not so much the fertility route. I, I'm sorry. Let me, let me clarify real quick. More the more so just that concept of how a lot of couples will kind of move forward with their, you know, with their careers, and then maybe again, you know, it may not have been your situation, but I'm just saying, and then later, oh. attempt to do it and find out is a lot harder than they expected. So I was, I guess I should oh, focus yeah. more yeah. on that. You know what I'm saying? But, again, the fertility part is obviously a situation, you know, that didn't affect you personally, but I was kind of leaning towards just that concept how a lot of couples will go into marriage thinking this, and it ends up being kind of what you just heard. Yes, yes. Well, you know, um, as as everyone pretty much understands, you know, things have gotten a lot difficult, a lot difficult, more difficult now to, you know, get married, buy a home, start a family. And so, you know, even for us, you know, just settling in our careers, we ended up having, you know, just putting children off 
for a little bit longer and a little bit longer because we, you know, needed some stability. We wanted to look in the future and say, okay, we're going to stay here. And um, we finally just got to the point where we just decided, you know what, it's no, it's no better time than now. Just go for the now. And um, that's not to say we were kind of irresponsible about it, but we realized that we would never get that that um, smooth path in front of us unless we made it ourselves. So um, after, you know, when we as we realized that you know, we were getting older, so uh, my wife started telling, talking to about how, you know, at her age or, you know, at the certain age range, her pregnancies would start being high risk. And so if you will, you know, you have this, you have this, um, barrier behind you where you're looking at, you know, financial or life instability, and then you have a barrier in front of you that's time. And you find yourself, if you will, just squeezed in between these two forces and you're trying to make a decision where if you wait too long, you're going to be in trouble. And if you go too fast, you're going to be in trouble. So there, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but a lot of people feel like um, they just uh, are constantly trapped in between these two, if you will, external forces in their relationships not just in their desire to have children. And so navigating those and navigating the, uh, the, the demands and, the, and your own personal desires can become a very um, uh, difficult, if not thorny issue. You know, it's, it's just one of those things that, that just happen in relationships repeatedly. It could be about, it could be about getting a dog. It could be about buying a house. It could be about buying a car, but um, un, um, unwittingly, you know, as I always joke with my with when I'm talking with like parents or something like that you know there's only one place for a kid to grow and that's in between you know what you're stubborn about and what's what, what your partner is stubborn about and so <laughs> timing um you know people see timing completely differently and so timing is one of those things also so um I think um I I don't think it's simply due to people waiting I think it's due to people talking now, you know, we live in a society where, you know, you can go on a computer and things that you would not say to people, you can say to anyone just typing it out. And so I think because people type it out or maybe don't say it or don't look at people, um, they tend to, because people don't type it out and don't look at people, they tend to be more open about things. They tend to be more open about things that they would be closed about. So. Oh, gosh. Let me, um, let me go to the trees. Let me ask her. Because obviously um, this discussion brings in the proverbial, in a sense, time clock um, for for women that, in a sense, men were kind of fortunate enough not to worry about it as much. And so, again, hearing that cut, hearing what um, Nate had to say, Latrice, uh, just some thoughts about kind of, you know, again, and you are, and you are you know, a mother as well, so you obviously speak to it from your own experience in, in a sense. But I know that it definitely can be a concern for couples who do, you know, maybe even put it off and wait. Um, you know, in a sense. But go ahead, Queen, just your thoughts on that being, a, in a sense, a part of this issue. And sometimes people now are encouraging for, in a sense, couples not to wait because this can become a concern for some women who do, in a sense, have a career and then get into these situations. So some people even try to advise that maybe that's not even the best route. Your thoughts on that, Queen? Um. I think that is a, a serious um, discussion that couples have to have. I um, More and more women are delaying starting a family for their career. And, um, you know, we've been told that the path to upward mobility is you graduate from high school, you go to college, you get a good job, and then you, you know, you raise a family. Um, but more and more women, you know, for more and more women, that's delayed and that, you know, the longer a woman waits, 
um, the greater the risk is of not being able to get pregnant and having to go through fertility treatments. And even then, I'm running the risk of a miscarriage. Um, so it's something that needs to be considered, needs to be discussed, and a couple needs to be able to arrive at a, a decision that works for both parties because nowadays it, it really takes two working parties to to work, to, to, to live well. And, you know, for many of us, we want certain things in life and you have to work to accomplish those things. So where do you fit in that time to make a family before it's too late? So that is definitely a discussion that couples should have. No, absolutely. So, Nate, if you will, again, we say, what's a man to do? And so, um, again, unfortunately, you've experienced um, this very situation. And so I kind of want to start there, if you can just kind of recall, and really specifically from your standpoint, um, of the idea of experiencing it, and if you're willing to just kind of share uh, maybe if you can even recall or you know the thoughts when something such as this happens and you're having, a, as you said, be that man. You already mentioned it. Be that man. You have to be tough in a sense, and you know, there for her and for your family. However you want to look at that. Um, but what were some of your realistic thoughts while having, in a sense, main a, a sense of strength, you know, for her as she's going through? Typically, you know, a lot of women go through, you know, major depression when these type of things happen. Mm-hmm. So what were your thoughts having to play that role, if you will, Kim? Um, Well, number one, I, I can I, – I strongly recommend as, as a man that you be involved uh, with your wife's or your partner's pregnancy. And what I mean by that is just not be present but also pay attention um, ask questions, um, going to, um, going to doctor's appointments. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people, you know, they pop up in that book, what's expecting or expecting. And I'm not saying do that, but I'm saying that, you know, there is, there's a ton of, of information out there and just, you don't have to drink from the fire hose, but just start taking sips that you understand what, um, what is happening because obviously number one things start changing. You know, your partner could be experiencing morning sickness. They can be experiencing, you know, um, sensitivity. They can be to smell, to touch, to, you know, temperature, you name it. Um, so um, how much you know a lot of times can dictate how you react. So when things start happening that might, that could clue you in that, you know, a miscarriage is taking place, um, mm-hmm. I would say the number one thing is, well, the number two thing is to um, understand that you need time. Um, a lot of times as as a person, something will happen and I'll immediately think two or three steps ahead, okay, I need to react this way, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And what you don't think about is that this is something where you need to stop. So if it's, you know, going to work, maybe you need to think about very strongly about calling in sick. Or if it's, um going on, um, I, I travel for work. So for me, I remember one time in one situation, I had, um, uh, I had a trip that was coming up and I was just trying to navigate in between the, okay, I'm dealing with this. And then, you know, at eight o'clock comes around, I need to, you know, go to the airport and looking back on it, I'm kind of, I constantly kind of kick myself like, that was the really the dumbest thing to do, you know, because it's like you, you can't, um, everyone's reaction is different but you just can't assume that life is going to go back to the way it was um, because it's, 
uh, it, it's as I remember when I was talking to a uh, a gynecologist uh, after we had had one um, uh, of the multiple miscarriages that we did struggle through. Uh, uh, she told us that you know, uh, 25% of pregnancies in the first trimester end in miscarriages, and no one talks about it. And I remember thinking, okay, if I just think of this as there's a one in four chance, my reaction to it's going to be different than, okay, this happened, now we can just move on. You know, the assumption that you can move on is uh, not an assumption that I would make. An assumption that everything's going to go back to normal, or everything's going to go back to the way it was before. You know, the the discovering you were pregnant or however long you were pregnant is, is not a um, is not a good assumption to make at all because mm-hmm. uh, when you're when you're looking at like loss when you're looking at the the feeling of you had all this expectation and then suddenly the music stops you're you're going to mm-hmm. get yourself in in a good bit of trouble if you just think that you know the sun's going to come up tomorrow and it's just going to be Wednesday. Because in a lot of cases, emotionally, um, your partner who's carrying a child is not going to want it to be Wednesday. They're going to want it to be Tuesday all over again because they, they woke up Tuesday morning and they were pregnant. And they don't want to wake up Tuesday, Wednesday morning, and they're not pregnant. Wow. Um, yeah, let me – oh, no, so, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, um, go ahead, quick go question. Latrice, you can jump in mm-hmm. and um, ask a question as well. Um, if I could just kind of revisit you you say you kick yourself if I can and again if anything you know obviously if anything is too touchy you know just bow out or, or, yeah, or whatever sure, sure, sure. and I'm just kind of just again just trying to understand it but when you say in a sense you had to trip and you kind of kick yourself so I think I heard that to mean that uh, that you went on the trip and now you're looking back on it and saying you know hey I shouldn't have just went on that trip and so my question would be um, in a sense if you can recall. How soon was that trip, you know, in a sense, after, you know, maybe one of the miscarriages? Oh, my God. And obviously, you, you looking, um, yeah, looking back on it, you obviously feel a certain way. Uh, but do you, you know, one, how soon was it? And then also, uh, in addition to that, um, did, did it come up after you got back on the trip? Between, You know, in a sense, just, just wondering. Yeah, Those are a couple yeah. questions that came to my mind. Okay, um, uh, a little bit into the nuts and bolts of pregnancy. Uh, um, you know, in the first trimester, um, a lot of times um, – uh, uh, women, if you will, they they experience like uh, um, uh, the, the the simple term is to say bleeding, but I would say infrequent bleeding, also known as spotting. And um, mm-hmm. in the beginning of a pregnancy, so your partner is going to um, she's going usually she's going to complain about spotting or you know why am I bleeding, something like that. But then as you know, this is the first week as as it moves on, that stops. Okay, and so um, once it stops, you're you're kind of in this nether. For us, we were kind of in this nether world of, is it going to start again? And usually for us, the trigger that that a miscarriage was going to happen was that my wife would start spotting again. And so mm-hmm. um, um, it was, if you will, there was almost this race of time where um, uh, you know I have certain t- blocks of time off, and then certain you know, days and months, I'm just gone. And so we're looking at this thing, looking at this situation where in my head, the clock is running because my wife started telling me that she was spotting again, and we didn't know if it was incidental, just, you know, just one thing that happens. But then as the um, incidence of it closer and closer and closer together, or the time interval between them started to decrease instead of increase, I had the feeling that we were going to be in trouble. 
And as, if you will, so as the, as the time interval between the spotting incidents was decreasing, the time that I had to leave for the, for the airport to leave just was getting closer and closer and closer and closer. So one of the things that I, I didn't talk about is, you know, a lot of times when you first discover your pregnant, you have so much hope. You know, you're looking at something that takes 10 months to gestate. You're thinking about, you know, what are we going to do next? You know, is it a boy or a girl? You know, you, you know time, is, time is there. And so you're subconsciously we're both hoping that um, that our indicator, which is spotting, would stop, but it didn't. And so you're in this halfway point between it could stop any minute or it could continue any minute. And so essentially, what I did, again, like I don't recommend this, is I flipped the coin, you know, and I said, okay, I know what we have, I know what right. it, it might stop, it might continue. And so what's the best that we can do right now? And I left, you know, and it, it's, it's uh, mm-hmm. one of those things where I look back on it and everything worked out. Okay. You know, like we understood what the situation that we were in, but mm-hmm. you know, two kids in now, I look back and it's like, that was the wrong decision to make. Like that is not something mm-hmm. I would do. I think that what I'm getting at is that not about work, but priorities, you know, I, you know, um, I tend to think of, of time and blocks and chunks in that, you know, I need these three days for this. I need those three days for that. You know, in the back of my mind, I could have been thinking, look, I need the four days for this. I can handle this when I get back home. Instead of thinking, you know what, whatever you're doing can be replaced. And you can just, you can get right. this back if you just, you know, you can make up this work at another time. Right. And so no, I ended sense. up leaving the same day that the pregnancy ended. And um, so you're, so not only are you dealing with uh, a you're not here situation, you're dealing with the pregnancy ended and then, oh my gosh, you know, essentially we had so many hopes for this or so much hope for this and that's gone too. So it's not just a matter of, you know, you leave and you leave an angry partner, but then also you, you have a reaction yourself and you just can't, I know as a guy, you tend to just hammer things down to, okay, if I can just hammer this down into a box, X and Y size, I can compartmentalize it, and I don't have to deal right. with it. Um, a lot of times what I think as men we overlook is if we compartmentalize emotions, we often make them worse, and we make them more complicated. So, Yeah, let's dig into that. Well, i got a, another break, and this cut, it's not even a, a break per se, but it's a cut directly related to this. Um, this is um, Tamika Dillard. Um, on a TED talk, talking specifically about it uh, from her perspective, but she brings the men's perspective in it at the end. So both of you uh, will listen. I definitely want to dig in when we come out of break. Um, Latrice, we'll kind of let you open from what you hear from the break and if you have any questions for uh, Nathaniel, for Nate as well. So we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. And on my birthday, we found out we were pregnant. Amazing. Yes. We were in love with our baby right from the start, and we shared the news with everyone. This pregnancy was perfect, flawless, in fact, until my water broke at 16 weeks, and our daughter, Destiny, died. We'd never known such pain, shock, and despair until eight months later when my water broke at 17 weeks, and our daughter, Brianna, died. Pain, heartbreak, and despair, they grew exponentially. One year later, as we were pregnant with our daughter, Madison, 
and my water broke at 19 weeks. That was on the evening of my husband's birthday. Madison was born two days later, and she lived for nine hours before joining her sisters in heaven. Why is this important to talk about? Is it just another sad story in need of sympathy? Absolutely not. I choose to break the silence of pregnancy loss for many of you. I choose to break the silence of pregnancy loss because the number of women who came alongside me after each of our grief experiences to whisper, I know how you feel. I've lost a baby too. That number was alarming. It was as if a secret society of women were emerging to say, I've lost a baby, but I've been told to get over it. You didn't know that baby anyway. Many of these women were just like me. They dreamed of becoming a mother since they were old enough to emulate their own mothers and grandmothers. These women knew how it would feel to announce a subsequent pregnancy without inhaling the fear of the past. They knew how it would feel to attend a baby shower for a friend and pretend to be happy on Mother's Day. These women knew, they had seen it intimately, that men grieve too. But they are often overlooked as unnecessary and invisible during pregnancy loss. Men, just like my husband, who was strong because they needed to be, would grow utterly weak at the pain of recurrent pregnancy loss. Men, like my husband, who has a rich and distinguished voice, would grow utterly silent as they were commissioned to be strong and take care of your wife, but never acknowledged as a grieving father. And many men, like many of you who may be full of faith, would be full of questions, even anger, to God as to why this happened to us. Oh, yes, men grieve too. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with guest co-host, Latrice Ross, and special guest, Nate Jackson. Miscarriages, what's a man to do? Latrice, I'll let you open after hearing that cut, and again, you can respond to that, or if you have any questions for um, our guest, special guest as well, please go ahead. As she spoke, I was actually just thinking um, how it must be exponentially more difficult for men because, A, they're often overlooked and, um, you know, shuttled off to a corner somewhere while everyone um, takes care of the woman who is, is grieving. But also, they have to be strong for their, their partner. They have to be there when they're crying and they're assuring them, reassuring them that things are going to be okay. And um, that takes them a, a tremendous amount of strength to sit there and, and support your partner while you're grieving and perhaps tearing up on the inside but not wanting to show that because you're being her rock. So, um this conversation is, is actually making me take um, a different look at how we um, comfort um, people in this situation, but also going forward, you know, being intentional about and speaking to the men who are grieving as well. So, oh, Absolutely. Nate, if you will, brother, you know, I'm pretty sure that 
cut, cut touch home for you. But again, I'm again again don't want to dig too deep per se if it's not okay. But I'm definitely wondering, in a sense, that specific role. What 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 are, what do you struggle with from a from just from your thoughts? Again, as Latrice just said, having to be strong and also grieving inside. Like, what are some of the the thoughts that you struggle with, in a sense, to be, in a sense, there for your wife? And if you will, can if you can just kind of, you know, again, just we're just trying to understand it from a, a man's perspective, if you will. Yeah, that was actually a really, really powerful clip. Uh, I I almost wish I had seen that TED talk before coming on the air, so uh, because. Uh, it actually touched on a lot of things. And um, I think the toughest thing is to be strong when you don't want to be strong. Um, mm-hmm. Or um, to um, connect yourself emotionally to something that you don't want to connect yourself to. You know, it's it's very difficult to connect life and death together. I mean, socially, it's very difficult. You know, personally, it's very difficult. No one wants to think of having a kid as or having a child as essentially rolling the dice, or will I, or will I have to deal with this? And so um, going through that as, as a man, um, number one, you feel very dis- – I felt very disassociated with it to begin with because I didn't understand what it was. And then when I understood what it was, it almost seemed like it was just too much to deal with. What I mean by that is that when it first happened, I thought, okay, this is just a setback. Let's move forward. No big deal. But then when I realized that um, th- uh, that um, this was going to take time to heal, I suddenly had to look at myself in the mirror and said, yes, you're going to have to take time to heal from this. Um, socially, we, we do things in groups, whether knowing or unknowing. And one of the things that happens is, you know, um, our, our partners tend to have friends who are the same age. So a lot of them come into childbearing years at the same time. So they, mm-hmm. I don't know, empirically – the people around us tend to get pregnant in clusters. So when we experienced our first miscarriage, that same time, I think 12, uh, uh, 12 people who we consider friends and family had children at the same time that ours would have oh, reached, wow. uh, reached gestation. Mm-hmm. And so um, that summer was really, really difficult. So if, if you will, we had two hard we had two difficult times. Number one was when it first happened. And then, well, actually three. Number one was when it first happened. Number two was when baby shower time came around. And then number three was when um, baby started arriving and ours wasn't there. Um, wow. And so um, when you think about it in that way, it, um, when you think about instead of saying this is an incident and think about this as a mm-hmm. process, you um, – you put yourself on a different timeline mentally to understand that there's going to be days where I'm just upset about this. And there's going to be days where this doesn't bother me. That's grief. That's, that's sadness. That's, um, those are things that are, are human to, to feel. Um, there could yeah. be a situation where as a man, you feel more uh, sad about a miscarriage than, than your partner does as, as the woman, as the carrier of, of your child. You know, mm-hmm. also one of the things that makes it extremely difficult, because she was talking about specifically at 16 weeks, and I don't want to get, you know, too far off, but in our society, we struggle to even come up with a common nomenclature for what you call, a, 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 what you call um, 
uh, a, a child in gestation at that point. Some yeah, people yeah, say life. fetus. Yeah, what, some yeah, people what, say what it's not viable. Some yeah, people absolutely. just say it's a cluster of cells. Some people say it's this. Right. And it's hard to say, to look at somebody who says, oh, it's just a cluster of cells, when you're thinking to your, in the back of your head, no, that's my child. You know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's one of those almost good fences make good neighbors kind of, kind of things because you have to come to someone and you have to address it how they feel that they want to address it. And if it's not the wording that you use, I've been really trying to be really careful and use wording that can apply to everybody here, but it's almost like, you know, mm-hmm. navigating a road with potholes. You know, you just don't want to say, oh, it's just a question of self to someone who thinks that life begins at conception. And you don't want to say life begins at conception with someone who says, no, this was before, you know, this was before an age of viability. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, um, I remember uh, one, of my, one of my good friends uh, um, from college, we had, se- we had, you know, separated for a while, and then we had come back together at a different point in time. And I remember him coming in and just talking about how he was going through a tough time. And then he just tacked on it. You know, we went in for our first ultrasound and there was no heartbeat. I remember like this is before I had kids. This is before I was even married. And I remember not even understanding what to say to him other than I'm sorry. You know, like, and so um, now, you know, having gone through this, my reaction would be completely different. You know, it would be like, hey, man, let's just stop. Come on over here. Let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Do you want to talk about this? You know, and before I'm like, man, you know, I was like, hey, man, I'm just, you know, I'm just sorry. Like, I know, I know you're going through a tough time. Just hang in there, you know. So. Yeah, um, it makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That distinction of having had the experience, you know, in a sense, you're saying I'm sorry, but you're, I think if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's almost, again, at that point, you not having experienced yourself, you're just, you're saying I'm sorry, but it's almost that blowover, you know, yeah. you know kind of obligated, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah. But you're kind of yeah. done with it because you don't have a, a, a relative, you don't have any, any experience to realize there's a lot more to that for him and you mm-hmm. hadn't had the experience. Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, thinking of your story, only to find out you were going to experience it several times in your own lifetime, you had no idea. That's a very that's a very nice distinction. And uh, and if for people out there on the phone line, let me put it out there. If you want to get on this discussion, please press one. Uh, we will let people get in and tell their story. That we're speaking to our special guest, um, Nate Jackson. Again, thank you for being on with us, King. For people on the phone line, I mean for the online, if you want to get on this discussion, please give us a call at six four six. Seven eight seven one six nine one. Again, that number is six four six seven eight seven one six nine one. And we will definitely get your stories in as well. Latrice, I want to kind of jump you back in before we go to the next break. Again, as you're hearing Nate speak this way, and again, I love getting his perspective. I just want to hear you know any thoughts or any questions you have for him as well. Go ahead, please. Um, I think that we, for many people, when these emotional things come up it's uncomfortable and we just gloss over it because it makes us feel out of sorts. I think it's important because there is beginning to be a much greater focus on mental health that we pause, as Nate said, and acknowledge the grief, acknowledge the sadness and, you know, just say, I'm here if you want to talk. I'm here if you just want to sit in silence. I'm here instead of just like being awkward and glossing over it because that actually, I think, makes a person who's grieving feel feel worse um, as a result of that awkwardness as well. So. Oh, absolutely. And one thing I'm going to say real quickly, we're going to go to break, um, Nate, as I'm listening to your story, I'm sitting here, again, this is my first time having this discussion as well. 
I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, you know, as much as we, in a sense, we don't like to lose loved ones you know, that we, you know, that we know or in our lives, you know, to death per se, people don't like them, whatever, but we kind of have a perspective and know that's a reality. Um, I think this situation is just something that you, you naturally, one, would not prepare for, but then as I listen to you speak about, in a sense, it's a situation where you end up revisiting, like you said, the day that you, in a sense, lose your child, and then as you've just explained with the other couples, that is very much the case, then you experience, you, you're supposed to feel joy for somebody else, and I can only imagine that's a hard reality and so it's, so it's almost like you this situation you almost experience it three different times as I listen to you describe it and I'm like wow this is I mean I, it's a pain I hope I never experience if I could say that um as you know as we go to this break um this cut that you are here coming I would this isn't a, a um a commercial break so after the commercial we're going to play another cut that's going to move it this conversation into a a, a a slightly different direction and I'll ask you some questions about that cut um, as we play it. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. All I ask is that you think. Square Business Entertainment brings you their latest hit, I Really Want You, by Taylor Pace. Take a listen. Entertainment. They are also rewarding their fans with a new release every 30 days. Here's another one by Taylor Page. Love can't define this. Love can't define this. Can't capture all your sweetness and your kindness. Love can't define this. We're crippled and love would only blind us. Was there a time where you wanted to, obviously, before even eight or nine, just give up? No. No, never. I'm one of those people that I failed at all kinds of things, repeatedly. (laughs) I've just always been of the mindset, because this is what people tell you. You work hard. You do the right things. You're a good person. It will happen for you, eventually. Maybe not the first couple times, but... But eight or nine, you might want to listen. You'd think. Yes. But I I could not let go of this idea of creating this life within me um, that I could feel that, 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 that tied me to him, that, that he could be a part of, that the world could be a part of. I'm not letting myself and all these people down. I need to have this. I need to be pregnant for everybody, including myself. But let me share something with you. As we go through this process, though, I'm watching my wife, who I know all these things, and I want this for us and I want this for her. But I'm watching her do things to her body and to herself that is it's getting to the point where it's not healthy. And as I always told her, I want this baby just as much as you do, but I married you and you are the most important thing to me. So it came to a point where, you know, I started to feel a certain way about that because I didn't want something to happen to her. And it was getting dangerous, you know. See, we were trying so much and so many things and so many different methods, and it was getting dangerous, and I was getting nervous. 
Welcome back to the Venture Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Soccer Tees, special guest co-host, Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, miscarriages, what's a man to do as we're speaking to special guest Nate Jackson as he kind of just gives us his perspective having went through this experience, uh, unfortunately, a few times with his wife before conceiving a couple of young boys that I know he's proud of now, but as we hear a cut from Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade kind of speak about, you know, her eight to nine, I think it was eight, I think I heard in there, eight, maybe nine times she experienced it. And Ooh. if you don't know, they recently welcomed a child and they did it through surrogate. And so I guess one question I would have for you, Nate, and Trish, you jump in after him, is just the idea of, you know, through that experience, did y'all get into exploring other ideas and other ways to do it. I know we mentioned earlier Michelle Obama having to do it through, I think it's IVF is the short term for that. I know you said that wasn't a consideration, but, you know, did those type of thoughts happen after you were experiencing Again, you said you went through this for eight years for anybody that's tuning in, you know, eight years before y'all were able to conceive your first child. So um, any thoughts, you know, just hearing that, because that is an aspect of this for couples who are, in a sense, struggling with infertility. Go ahead, King. Uh. Let me clarify. Yes, we actually we did not have having to do uh, in vitro fertilization or IVF, but we talked about absolutely every other um, every other avenue to have children um, or every other avenue to to foster having a child um, uh, that was available to us, and um, we ended up actually. Uh, well, it, we kind of ran the gamut, you know, it's because um, you, you have to understand that, like, um, having a child is a natural desire. It is something that's going to, um, whether it's originally planned or unplanned, you know, like certain emotions get released that, that have a lifespan, you know, in your relationship. And so, you know, as we kept having difficulty after difficulty after difficulty, we started looking at, you know, surrogacy or we started looking at, you know, adoption or we started looking at in vitro fertilization and um, and going to different doctors and going to um, specialists and things like that. And so we, we definitely, um, at first, you, it's all, you know, it's, it's, it would be easy to just say it's all part of the grieving process, but it's part of the grieving process, but it's also part of the human process outside of grief in that I've had a setback. I'm going to figure out how to get over the setback. I'm going to figure out how to, um, uh, how to, how to navigate this, this, this new path that I did not uh, see opening up. I've had friends who decided after their first um, yeah, miscarriage that this is, this is not the, this is not the ride that I want to be on because they decided to not have any more kids. Um, all oh, wow. of those are, are things, all of those things are acceptable, you know, because it's your body, it's your choice, mm-hmm. it's, it's your decision. Mm-hmm. And while um, the people around you might not agree with that, they might, they have to respect it. You know, I really do uh, appreciate what Dwayne, Dwayne Wade was saying. And because you can lose yourself in this, you know, um, mm-hmm. That you know that moment you know where you're looking at a a pregnancy test or you're at a doctor and they're like um you know we need to talk about something that moment is is life changing you know and you might it might not feel it right then and there but you'll definitely feel it you know and um or some people feel it immediately and everything's different after that so um it's kind of one of those things where one of those situations where you wake up in the morning and you know who you are 
by the time you go to sleep, you have no idea the person that's living inside your brain. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, so amazing. it's um so you know adjusting to something that people don't even talk about. Like I remember people would just come and kind of whisper it, like, "Yeah, we had one too," or. Uh, yeah, we 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 struggled with that, and they would just be so vague that it would it would be frustrating because what you really want is you really want someone to sit down across from you, or at least what I really wanted is someone to sit down across from me and say, "This happened to us seven times in six years." You know, I I wanted someone to say that you know I wanted someone to display some empathy and not sympathy. You know, the difference between those is very subtle, but it's very very direct. Mm-hmm. You know. Sympathy says, I feel sorry for you. Empathy says, I'm going to sit in this emotional space with you and be, you know, be your partner through it. And so um, it's very easy past sympathy, you know, because it's something that doesn't Mm -hmm. cost us anything. Empathy might cost you something. Empathy might be, okay, I'm going to, you know, crawl down into this emotional space with you and I'm going to bring all the things that I have with me. And I'm going to share them with you to to try to help you, not try to help you, but just try to be with you for this space and time. No, it makes sense. I know the truth you just referred to, you know, that's what you're hearing. I'm I'm heard, hearing and learning that. Um, the truth, any um, thoughts from you or questions for Nate as, as we're listening to him just kind of break down, you know, his personal experience with, with this? Latrice, did I lose you? Hello? No, I was on mute. Oh, yes, um, I hear you, Queen. I'm just, Go ahead. Okay, great. I'm just waiting. I, I, and I don't know if – I think that this needs to be a broader discussion. Like, Nate should write a book about miscarriage from the man's perspective or – because all of those are very real and, and are very apparent for the woman. But I, I'm I'm sitting here just kicking myself at this point for never even acknowledging um, my friend's partners when they've experienced miscarriage. You know, I, I just, you know, I'll call and he might answer. And I was like, hey, how are you? Can I speak to whomever? You know, just totally gloss over what he's right. going through in my effort to comfort her. And um, I owe some people apologies, I think, um, for not stopping to consider what they were going through. And, and I would say go this far with you. Um, again, we're learning, because I think we're both learning this on the spot, hearing Nate speak about it. Uh, I would go as far as to even say to you, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as policy, but we can take what we are learning right now. And that, that you know, obviously you said, you know, I got, obviously you don't want anybody in your immediate circle to experience this, but uh, we're both learning what better to do. Because, again, this, you know, as he just said, the couples themselves kind of go inside themselves and don't say a lot or whatever. But, again, if it's a, as you said, if it's a lady friend or a woman that is having that experience, everybody does, in a sense, focus there and do, like you just said, hey, how you doing? Can I talk to so-and-so? Like that, it, that makes sense. That's what we would do. But I couldn't imagine anybody hearing Nate speak today going forward in that manner. You know what I mean? Because no, I mean, when, right. when I heard you, Nate, when I heard you say, Nate, I wanted somebody to ask me those questions. Like I'm sitting here going, wow, of all kind of situations in which I've been willing to be there for friends. I mean, even friends who, you know, maybe suicidal or whatever and that type of thing. So, you know, I would stop everything in those situations. But, you know, I probably don't know of all of my friends who went through this experience, but this is, it hits home for me uh, because I have a, 
a friend of mine who I consider my sister, and she went through the infertility issues you know, from having the fry boys and mm. the surgeries, mm. but literally mm. wanting a baby and mm-hmm. and, and trying mm-hmm. in vitro or and it not taking the first time. And so I remember kind of what you you mentioned this real you know very well, a second ago, Nate, when when you said, hey, you've known couples who said, no, we're not going through this anymore, and that's their right. I remember again, this is someone I considered my sister. Um. Literally thinking, she was getting into her, she's my age, I'm 45, so she was in the, getting into her 40s, and I'm saying, after mm. everything you've been through, I remember having a very candid conversation, not candid in a negative way, but an empathetic conversation, because she's almost like matriarchal in her own family, even though she didn't have her own kids. Her her, her siblings looked at her in that way, you know what I mean? And she just, she was definitely, mm-hmm. we all knew she would make the greatest mother uh, if she was fortunate enough to have a child. And I remember saying to her in a static way that maybe adoption is your thing. I'm going to say that directly. It just kind of came out. She understood why I was going. And at the time, she actually appreciated me putting that on the table for her. And I was just mentioning mm-hmm. how wonderful that she is. You know, she could do that for, you know, again, maybe a child that wasn't her own per se. And so she was open to it. And mm-hmm. maybe a year later when she jumped back into the process, you know, of course, my fingers are crossed, but I'm, again, outside looking in saying, I don't want to see you put yourself through this. And luckily, mm. just recently, she had her first child, and so obviously we're elated mm. that she's had the experience of, you know, pregnancy and have birth in her own child. So, again, yeah. just, you know, just to share that, you know, that situation is personal, Nate. I'm going to let you jump back in because I can tell you, you know, you want to get back in. we got a couple of minutes before we go, you know, to the top of the hour break. And just so you know, we're going to bring on a um, professional for the second hour, uh, a psychotherapist for the second hour to get into that aspect of this because I think our community needs to learn from a professional standpoint as well. But any thoughts for you before we go to the top of the hour break, Kim? Go ahead. I think one of the best things that uh, you can do is um, personification uh, or allowing for people to to embrace personification. Like it's very hard for, like I said before, it's very hard to just put a name on what exactly, I mean, it's easy to say you're in the first trimester, but like during your TED talk, uh, um, she talked about, she named, um, uh, she named each and every one of her children, you know, uh, that took me a long time to learn just to name, you know, like allow yourself to name them, allow yourself to, um, address the uh, address them as a person who is not here. You know, um, I remember we had just moved into a house and it was kind of our dream house. It was on the corner. It had this great lot. I mean, it was just begging for a swing set. And so we had painted up one room in baby colors, and then we started trying to have kids, oh, wow. and then we started getting setbacks. And I remember that door had to just stay shut. And I, you know, you, and I could get to the point where I could walk upstairs because it was upstairs. I could walk upstairs. I could go to a different room. I could go to a different bathroom. But if I had to touch the handle on that door for any reason, it wasn't going to be a good day. And um, wow, I didn't like. I didn't really understand in myself that uh, that it's okay to be upset about this. It's okay to, you know, it's okay to have a theological crisis about. Why are you doing this for other people, and why are you letting this happen to me for those people who have to be believers or believe in higher deity? It's okay to be, um, it's okay to be upset. You know, it's not one of those things where you might go in a corner and cry. It might just be one of those things where 
you just don't do Tuesdays for a while, you know, or, you, you know, you just right. don't, you know, we, you know, we stopped eating pancakes on Saturday morning because this happened. That is part of, that is part of a human experience of grief. And it's okay to go through and allow yourself to go through those phases. And, um, especially because a lot of times I see in writing or in popular culture, there's this expectation that men are just supposed to roll through it, that you can be upset for a little while, but, you know, we just try again. A lot of times I feel like right. this is typically comes from people who who have kids, <laughs> you know, um, not to blame them because I have kids now, but um, mm-hmm. when – when this happens for the they first time, it happens for the third time. Breaks, so I'm sorry to cut you off, brother. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll it's okay to stop the clock. Yeah. No, no, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. get that thought coming out of the break, and we'll be bringing on Dr. Katrina Pittman, uh, the psychotherapist, to get into, again, that aspect of this very topic. You listen to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show, but all I ask is that you think, if you're a long-time listener, sometimes we play music for this cut, so we're fortunate enough to have our sponsor, Square Biz Entertainment, with a new cut for us. So I hope you all enjoy a little music before we go into the next hour. Listen to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. So much regret, now I dealt with you. You're a package to be handled with care. You're like a tailor, I let slip away, dropping pennies in the well, wishing you were is anyone there? With one wish. Hello? Before I lift to me to give her one kiss. Girl, you're so damn fine. You shocked it that you just one last time. And then I'm crazy when you were mine. Wanna spoil you one last time. And I don't make them like you no more. You're truly one of a kind. Maybe I'm out of my mind. Wish you were mine. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. So just hear a cut Taylor Pace one last time for one of our sponsors, Square Biz Entertainment. Please go check them out on YouTube and look up Square Biz Entertainment. They release a new cut. I love the music that they're playing, bringing that real R&B back. So I appreciate them sponsoring the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. This morning's discussion is miscarriages. What's a man to do? If you're out there on the phone line and would like to get in on this morning's discussion, please press 1. Our special guest this morning is Nate Jackson, our special guest co-host, Latrice Ross. I'm fortunate enough to also get on another special guest, Dr. Katrina Pittman, thank you, Queen, for coming on the show once again. As we are called Mental Dialogue, we are always fortunate to get your expert opinion on these issues that should include uh, what you do uh, for a living. And quite often we talk about how our community leaves out uh, the mental health aspect. And Latrice mentioned it um, about 15 minutes going into this break. So if you will, Queen, say hello to the truth seekers. Say hello to our special guests and give people a little bit of your background 
as we go continue this morning's discussion, miscarriages, what's a man to do? Thank you, Queen, for being with us. Thank you for having me again. So always excited to be on this show. And welcome, welcome to all the truth seekers. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Honored for this. And Latrice, thanks for um, all the connections we get to have. Good to see you. And Nate as well. Nice to meet you today. And I am a psychotherapist, and I'm local right there in East Point, Georgia. And I see uh, services from children all the way up to adults and couples and relationship issues, personal issues, and grief and loss. And so today's topic definitely is one that I'm excited to hear that we're talking about and loving that we're looking at it from this perspective. So thank you for having me on the show. Now, thank you, Queen, for being with us. Nate, I, I don't know if you can recall, you had a you were kind of fishing for thought and had to cut you off with the break. So I wanted to let you get that thought off thought thought out, and then I wanted to you know obviously talk to Dr. Pittman about you know this very thing from her experience and having to contend with couples go through and going through this. So if you will, King, finish your thought, and then we'll talk to Dr. Pittman. Oh, boy, I think I've actually uh, forgot what that thought was. <laughs> Not a problem. I have, I have a long break now, I understand. Not a pro- no, no, you're fine. I just wanted to make sure if you did recall it, I wanted to make sure we let you finish because I did mention it before mm-hmm. the break. Okay, well, with, yeah, with that said, Dr. Pittman, uh, you know, when I reached out to you, I asked, you know, have you experienced this with the people that you've seen from a professional standpoint? And I also recall um, you and I saying that, you know, I not only have you dealt with it, but to a certain extent, people who we mentioned this go inside themselves and often forget about coming to you at such a critical time, and it could help a lot of people. So if you will, Queen, speak about your own experience in helping couples and and the aspect of maybe our community, specifically the African-American community, not taking advantage of what someone like yourself could bring to the table during one of these experiences. Go ahead, Queen. Yeah, so um, the opportunities that I get when I get to work with couples, sometimes it's only the mom, and oftentimes I only get to meet the dad once if that situation happens. But I think it's so critical that we all look at mental wellness from a different approach. And things like this where we're left feeling the loss I heard him say earlier I just want somebody to ask me how I'm doing or just to resonate and connect with someone. I think that coming to a therapist to talk about those opportunities creates a, 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 a safe space and a platform. And so I do employ the community to definitely look at this as an option. And um, I'm sorry, Antonio, what was the first portion of your question to ask? Well, yeah, another problem was just what have you dealt with? You kind of already mentioned that, and and then yeah. the aspect of you know our community. You already you pretty much have addressed it both. I'm sorry for throwing in a double question. I'm bad for doing that, so I do apologize. But yeah, you pretty much you know answered it. If you want to go in more detail with maybe one of your experiences, oh, yeah. you definitely could. You know, you definitely could do that if you want. But go ahead, Queen. Yeah, I want to talk about um, the opportunities that I've dealt with it. They have been few, though. Sometimes we do think that we'll get over it. And you hear, you know, it's a good thing that it happened this way because 
maybe that was a sign for something else. And those are all things a parent that just lost a child does not want to hear. And so you become reclusive and you pull in oftentimes because no one quite gets what you're going through. And with the lack of our community expressing um, fertility issues and loss issues with infants of all types, it becomes overwhelmingly isolating. And that those things are concerned because they can create um, relationship dynamics, whereas the couple was so excited, but this death close to life can create little bitty ripples, and there'll be oftentimes fault blaming and fault finding because it's just so overwhelming that we struggle to deal with whose fault is it, well, what happened, and that's an area where, of course, the parents don't know anything about and they're left to just guess, and sometimes that pain is so deep they even disconnect and don't speak to each other about their truth. No, that makes sense. As I'm listening to you, Dr. Pittman and Latrice, I'm kind of wondering what you think of what I'm about to say, and, again, I'm just, again, glad to have on Dr. Pittman. So as much as you and I are the tree saying, hey, well, we're hearing Nate kind of explain, hey, I just wanted somebody to ask me questions, uh, you know, to be there for me or, uh, you know, as he said, beautifully said, you know, using more empathy versus just sympathy. And, and he's absolutely right about that difference. And, and again, you know, we kind of agree, hey, in the future, not, you know, again, not wanting this to happen, but we'll hopefully go about it a, a slight, a, a, a better way and be more empathetic and be there, like you say, get, get down in the, in the trenches with, you know, one of our friends who may be inexperienced. And we both highlighted to make sure we're taking care of the man because we just heard Dr. Pittman as well say that even when she's there with it, it's talk to the man once and take care of her grief. Um, So here's the perspective. So even in us deciding to do better and dig in, I heard Dr. Pittman say, well, hey, there are certain things that people might say that are not beneficial to that individual. And so in our wanting to do better and speak and be there for our friend, it's quite possible because of lack of professional experience that in our help we could do harm. And so maybe the first things we should be suggesting in being there for our friend is have you considered a therapist for this very obviously grieving moment that can continue to be with you for a long time and also, like we mentioned, the fear of doing it again. So that might be where we should be going. And, again, if they don't, you'd be there for them. But maybe the first thing we should be offering is, have you seen a therapist? Any thoughts from you, Latrice? And I want to hear your, what you think of that as well, Nate. Go ahead, Latrice. Latrice, are you on mute? Let me check with, let me check the system. We may have lost it. I was on mute. I'm sorry. I was typing. Are you um, another problem, Queen? I think. Okay, I think that it's important to that it's important to perhaps tactfully bring that up, um, you know, just in a way that says perhaps you know this is something that you should consider to help you um, process the grief that you're feeling effectively. Um, but I also think that it is important how we show empathy um, and the things that we say because people do say things not realizing that that offended, that hurt, that 
created mm-hmm. more pain, et cetera. So I, I think that that is a just with reg, you know not miscarriage, but just with with grief in general. My friend has cancer, and and when she shaved her head, someone said, "Send me a picture." And mm-hmm. that sent her into a tailspin. So we as as humans need to um, definitely analyze the things that we say to um, comfort someone to ensure that it, it's actually going to comfort and not have the opposite effect. Right, but I don't think we could know that. Nate, any thoughts about, again, obviously you got Dr. Pittman here who's you know, a professional with it, but any thoughts about not only having that empathy, somebody to ask you those questions, but also possibly even having suggested, hey, go see a professional who's going to not do what the very thing Latrice just said. Any thoughts on that, King? I cannot emphasize how important that is. Um, you know, just to piggyback on her story, you know, usually when people go through chemotherapy and they lose their hair, everyone around them shaves their head too, you know. Um, but when you're talking about something like, you know, miscarriage, it's just it's, – you walk into this unbelievable vacuum of quiet around you. And that mm-hmm. is, um, that is uncomfortable. if not disorienting. You know, I'm not saying throw a party, but what I am saying is, is, you know, usually if someone passes away, people will do simple stuff like bring over food or send you flowers or send you a mm-hmm. sympathy card, you know, have like hearing of a friend having a miscarriage. Have you ever thought about that? You know, um, uh, wow. Just, I mean, is you would be surprised how little things go a long way. Like, honestly, the only reason why, like, I thought to just block out this time and sit on the phone and talk about it is because usually when something like this happens to someone that we know, you know, my wife and I will do the same thing. You know, she'll just block off the time, get on the phone, and talk to um, uh, the, the 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 woman That's who experienced scary. it. And a lot of times, I'll just try to, you know, just try to. If especially cause especially for guys, it's just a little bit different. If not, um, you just don't know how to approach people. Sometimes, you know, some some people really do not deal with this type of grief and death very well. So I'll try to approach yeah. approach the guy and say, "Hey, do you want to talk about this?" Or, you know, I'll tell them, you know, "Hey, we went through this too." You know, especially when um, this is repeated, um, it often mm-hmm. it just gets it's one of the things that gets more difficult to live with. You know. Yeah, this might be a little bit too much, but when we think about, we have two children now. They are four and they are two. We love them, but we think about having a third child, and a lot of times that private discussion does changes from do we want to have a third kid to do we want to go through this again to get a third kid. You know that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You you, you mm-hmm. start bringing this emotional baggage with you on further and further and further along, and so having someone who's there who can help you transform your your grief from something that's negative to something that's positive. I'm not saying get rid of the grief, but just learn ways to allow you to, um, to uh, if you will, uh, absorb it in a, positive, in, a, in a positive way can help you yeah. a lot further down the road than if, than if you do. No, nah, that absolutely nothing. makes sense. We're actually up against another break, so we'll apologize. Um, but Dr. Oh, Pittman, um, I want to hear you. Yeah, we're just going to do it. We're just do, I got to do the break. I got to do the break, so work with me. We'll do the break, and we'll let you come out of the break. You listen to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. Well, all I ask is that you think. We'll be right back. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways. 
every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. Chattel slavery was unlike any sort of slavery trauma, plantation trauma, matrilineal trauma, colored-only, Negro-only trauma, every 107 seconds a sexual assault trauma, every 28, 12, 8 hours on the hour a trauma, because the body remembers, because the gestational week is a liminal space, because the biological mechanisms to explain miscarriage are not well understood, because the embryo is not a hothouse rose, because the uterus is not a greenhouse, because we could not optimize growing conditions, we were unable to contextualize our primary findings. Black women have a nearly two-fold higher risk of miscarriage compared with white women during gestational weeks 10 to 20. Because previous history of miscarriage is an established predictor of miscarriage, because the body cannot unlearn itself, we were unable to contextualize our second findings. To miscarry as a black woman is to refute a rumor held so close to the skin it became part of the skin. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with guest co-host Patricia Ross, a couple of special guests on the line with us, Nate Jackson, as well as Dr. Katrina Pittman. This morning's discussion question, miscarriages, what's a man to do if you want to get in on the discussion? Please give us a call at 646-787-1691. You have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. Dr. Pittman, I'm sorry about the break, but if you will, go ahead and give us your thoughts, and we'll address the cut after that. Go ahead, Queen. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry, too, about the disconnect earlier. But I wanted to get in on the why therapy part because I think that is very critical. Nate had mentioned earlier that um, sometimes you can go through several fertility issues and several miscarriages. And just a little bit about the break, they said trauma. And that was what I was going to speak of, that it could become a reoccurring trauma. And then Nate also had mentioned that it's if you get pregnant and your social group gets pregnant at the same time, yours ends and theirs continues, and then there's the re-traumatizing at the baby showers, at the births. Do they invite them or not to birthday parties? And so all of those are reasons why coming into a safe place like therapy for a counselor or a professional in that sense can really help wrap those um, angles around the process and those emotions. It gives us that opportunity to really release that emotional baggage, as Nate said, um, and reframe it in a way that leaves you whole. Um, It is something that happened, but we need some type of closure around it. And oftentimes, um, I have people in our community, men and women, aren't getting the closure that they need around it. And mm-hmm. if I can, I know one of the wonderful resources that I have found in working with my clients is an organization called Molly Bear, if you will. And I apologize mm-hmm. for not asking, but mollybear.org is a nonprofit organization that deal with infant loss on any level. And mm. so they wow. they utilize weighted bears to the specific weight of your child. 
and they send that to you as a as something and sometimes we need that memorial not these papers mm-hmm. that show this death certificate but maybe this life and in this size and in this weight so as a comfort as a as a point of contact to heal and wow. oftentimes parents go through their molly berry it's a whole year that they would um, be there with that person for contact through that. And so there are other organizations out there that are similar to that, but that is one of my favorite because they do have a weighted bear that would simulate the weight of your child. Um, and then just wow. with just with that uh, key focus being it's a process. So for those who've had miscarriages and have also had some healthy, successful deliveries, there is this duality, this pluralcy of I'm happy for you, I dream all these things for you, and what do I do with this part that knows that my other child never got to experience Mm -hmm. And those inner things, again, will come up seasonal. And so you may feel, I went to therapy about it immediately after it happened, but here we are five years later, and another life event happens from a friend or a family member concerning a child or a marriage or a wedding, and anything can bring become a trigger to those things. And so having a foundation of understanding that therapy, counseling, mental wellness as a lifestyle allows us to go back during these different seasons of our life where we may get a trigger or be re-traumatized, unfortunately, to come back and get grounded again. Yeah. Um, if you will, Dr. Tittman, uh, the cut talked about, again, the effect for black women and poverty, the traumas that are real life, you know, in a sense being passed down and things of that nature. But before we go there, Here's the question I got for you, and it, and it kind of comes up because Nate keeps mentioning it as a reality for us as black men with a lot of things, not just this issue, but this concept of us having to be strong and kind of just trudge through it. And even like you just gave your real life scenarios, you're usually dealing with the, the woman when they do decide to come to therapy versus the man. Um, any thoughts for, from your professional standpoint on, in a sense, how to explain to us as men how, one, we're not supposed to just trudge through it and how it harms us to, to, to do it that way, if, you, if that makes sense. If you, if you could speak to that, I think that's something that's needed, uh, in a sense, if we're doing this from the man's perspective. So if you will, Queen. Yeah, so for you men out there or um, fathers in the past that have dealt with that and are no longer with that particular woman, um, if it does impel you to reconnect and express those were serious concerns at that time, please do so. And how it is so important that you, even in your own way, men mostly tend to process inwardly and they tend to not reach out to others. And if you're feeling uncomfortable or you don't even know where to start with it, there are anonymous lines, anonymous health lines that you can reach out to, but in your inner sanctum, ground your own self and recognize that you are totally human and able to feel all emotions and this owns the the this requires the time to process how you're feeling about this the loss 
what does it mean? Because oftentimes it may pull into, well, did, is it me? Did I do something? And then if you're able to feel comfortable communicating about the loss, I would definitely encourage going to those um, those hubs of communities or hubs of people personally in your life that could guide you into just expressing their feelings. Sometimes men may need to express some feelings on their own, so I would say increase your exercise. Something as simple as that, getting out into nature, mm-hmm. will will just naturally trigger you to reconnect on that level. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, your loved one should, um, you should just share an expression to your loved one and find that safe grounding and express the concerns. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to feel, but I'm lost in this and. I'm frustrated with this, and that's important because we don't we we have these stigmas that we put up for the males in our lives on you know real men don't cry, and male men have to be strong, and the reality of it is if a real man is a real man, he's human, and we have to experience every emotion known to us and the 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 girth and being mature and manly or womanly is being able to process what we're feeling and make decisions and make, um, yeah, make decisions based on how to move forward out of a tragedy. And so um, pulling into the aspect of um, being strong, I think you're strong when you ask for help. I just want to encourage you to go out there and speak to someone or call. And sometimes it's even more easier to call somebody completely anonymous, like a professional Mm -hmm. or even a helpline, Mm -hmm. because you can totally disconnect and compartmentalize, which feels safe to some degree, and unwrap it as slowly and as gently as you need to with that private person. Yeah, it sounds like like with no judgment because this person actually doesn't yeah. know me, so it takes away your fear of judgment. You know, your friend may not judge you, but there's that fear of that. Nate, um, any thoughts when you're hearing Dr. Pittman again as a professional kind of saying, hey, here's what we as men could or should do? Any thoughts as you listen to her speak? Go ahead, Keith. All right, hold on one second. Let me see. Nate, are you there? You mean me? Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm sorry. She said very intently. And yes, one of the things that really got uh, that I, I really th- do thank you for is just emphasizing how important it to reach out to a professional. Like that is something that is so overlooked in all this because it's something that we believe that we achieve rather than something that we look at that that, that is a natural process. I think mm-hmm. the other thing too is that um, just as your interlude talked about how much um, societal trauma or or interpersonal trauma um, black women go through just on a daily basis i mean there 's just an ambient level of noise that that they mm-hmm. that they have to deal with, and then on top of that, you deal with pregnancy you know it 's not something that um, that that really um, that that we really address. I remember at the time we were trying to have kids, we lived in New York. And I remember I would just, um, it, it, it really didn't click until I saw like just the amount of stuff that my wife had to go through just being pregnant on the subway, you know, and it was 
it's just like, wow, I can't like this, this is working for me. You need to take an Uber, you know, like I need to get you out of this space. And just you know, for a lot of people, that is not an option, you know? And so just the amount of, of job stress, environmental stress, you know, family stress, you know, a lot of people, a lot of families say things like, oh, just slow down. If you slow down, this will work out. And that might not be the issue. You might not be in a situation where you can slow down. You just need, you know, mm-hmm. this needs to come along with you rather than being, you know, something that's that, that, that changes parts of your life that you cannot afford to change. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the other thing about it, too, is that there is a high um, – probability there's a higher probability of miscarriage in the first trimester than there are in the other two so you have a, a another you have a time issue that comes up because you know you the probability of miscarriage as i understand is about 15 to 25 percent in the first trimester it drops down to one to three in the second and third trimesters so essentially mentally you're racing the clock the entire time you're saying, okay, we're at week six, we're at week seven, we need to get to week 12. So what happens if you have a miscarriage on week 10 or week 11 or, Lord forbid, week 12? You know, it's just, it's just, it gets very, very, um, you, it gets very, very difficult in that, you know, you had this expectation that we made it through all these weeks and then we, you know, then we locked it at right. week 11. You know, so right. you can have, um, you have that, essentially that stress builds up in you and it has to go somewhere. It has to go mm-hmm. somewhere. Sometimes it can naturally dissipate. Sometimes you need to let it out or else it will bring you down. Now, those are strong thoughts. Let me go to another quick break. And, Latrice, I want to kind of hear your thoughts. And, again, if you, as a matter of fact, you didn't mention I didn't ask you to mention this, but when we come out of break, just give a little bit of your background because I think you're the perfect person to speak to this aspect of the extra stress that may lead to the numbers that we just heard where from week 10 to 20 is twofold for our sister, for our sisters out there. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on hearing that um, after this break. We'll be right back and listen to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. But all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still go with me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. Even walk like money. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya <laughs> Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross, a special guest are Nate Jackson and Dr. Katrina Pittman. Latrice, if you will, um, you know, again, just throw out um, your background so people know you're not just speaking to this randomly because, again, I know this is an area that, that is of, of a concern to you and you can speak to it appropriately. Again, what are our queens specifically experiencing when it comes to things such as this and it being twofold for them versus our counterparts? 
if you will. Sure. Uh, my background, I am a diversity and inclusion consultant. Um, and I guess because I'm a black woman, I focus a lot of my efforts and energy on issues related to black women, but not just, but specifically the intersection that black women, where black women sit. Um, we sit at the issue of being um, part of a marginalized race and being a marginalized gender. And so that has a tremendous impact on women, on black women in particular, in dealing with the stressors of everyday life, trying to manage your life as um, a black woman in today's society and all that that means, um, dealing with issues in the workplace. Um, am I projecting the right image? Am I not being, am I not being, I don't want to be perceived as too assertive. Am I, you know, am I dressing appropriately? I don't want to be perceived as being too loud when I speak or wearing earrings too big, or I want to make certain that I'm dressing appropriately and, you know, dealing with those issues and then dealing with the issues of being, you know, a woman in the black community and all that, that goes, that goes with that. So black women experience um, rates of miscarriage because of A, stress, um, and B, um, issues of economic inequality. And um, that includes, for many, not having access to quality medical care, not having health insurance that um, many take for granted, and um, seeking out treatment for um, or, or care when you're pregnant until later um, in the pregnancy. I have a friend because she and her partner weren't married. They are entrepreneurs and they didn't have insurance. She didn't go to the doctor for her, her pregnancy until she was nearly eight months. Mm -hmm. There is an inherent risk in that. Now, her baby was born healthy, but by that time, mm -hmm. um, she was developing gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. And that's what prompted the health visit because mm -hmm. she was starting to experience difficulties. So mm -hmm. those are all issues that are systemic um, to black women that contribute to the rate of miscarriage um, that we see in our community. And also, and this is very important, the medical industry as a whole does not necessarily take the health of black women seriously. Um, and I say that seriously is probably not the right word, but when you have someone the likes of Serena Williams who's giving birth and who knows her body well and who has to mm -hmm. insist that a doctor see her because she knows something is going wrong, um, there's a problem with that when it comes to black women in healthcare, and there are mm -hmm. articles that are written mm -hmm. as how doctors view black people in, in, a, in the medical industry. So all of those factors compound um, to make it difficult for black women um, to successfully get through. No, absolutely. And, Nate, I think this is a perfect time to segue into something you and I discussed going into the show, and, and we could kind of, in a sense, um, go off the, the main role with this discussion because I think this is a part of it. Um, so obviously we're talking about the loss of uh, uh, children or a child in this situation with miscarriages, but everything that Latrice spoke to also brings in that factor of, unfortunately, the high number of maternal deaths um, that are happening specifically mm. with, with African-American women due to the very thing she just spoke about. And I know that was something you mentioned, you know, when you and I talked this week, so I think it's a perfect segue to even bring that you know, into this aspect, because here's a question I have not knowing outside looking in, never been through this experience personally, outside of the one I told you about with my sister per se, is the idea of um, are there situations where 
you know, that is a big part of the concern. So obviously, as you mentioned earlier, what are you putting that woman through? And so I'm wondering, you know, how, how even that concern, you know, does that become a factor? Again, I don't know this, so I'll kind of um, get, give credence to you, if you will. So go ahead, King, just any thoughts on all of that? Yeah, if I could just expand the discussion a little bit. I, I really did love the work that Serena Williams did, uh, like opening herself up and talking about, like, how she almost died during childbirth. The story that really struck me was the story that did not get as much attention with than Serena Williams, and that is the Olympian Allison Felix. If you guys uh, remember, she's a sprinter. She's been in the Olympics, gosh, uh, since the early 2000s. I think she's probably coming up on her fifth or sixth wow. Olympic fourth or fifth Olympic, uh, she's a perennial U.S. Uh, uh, American sprinter. And one time she was talking about um, her work, and she was saying uh, she was talking to um, the Lakers, since she's an L.A. native, had brought her in to talk about her work. And she was telling them that excellence for her is something that is uh, at a higher level than they're experiencing. She was relating that she couldn't gain a pound because pounds take time away from her uh, her sprints, and she has to essentially maintain this level of of uh, physiological per- perfection for four years, and then they judge her on what she does in 11 seconds or nine seconds running a 100-meter dash. Now, mm-hmm. um, compound onto that, she has this stress already just to maintain her place in her in her profession. She decides to have a child with her husband, and she starts experiencing um, complications in the third trimester, and she doesn't know who to turn to. And you're talking about someone, you know, literally, who's sponsored by Nike, you know, and, and she wow. is she's struggling to, to put herself in a position where she can have a healthy child. Like, thank God she did have a healthy child, and, she, um, and I don't know the age of her child or, or anything about her situation, mm-hmm. but I remember reading this and saying, oh, my gosh, it's even to Alice and Felix, you know, and so it's right. – um, Looking, looking outside of this, there is a lot of research and a lot of um, writing being done uh, following, I believe it was a ProPublica article, or maybe it was Washington Post, talking about black women and maternal mortality. Um, it is a very fraught environment. So we've just spent an hour and a half talking about the stress of the first trimester, you know, and now we're mm-hmm. essentially we're shifting to the stress of the second and third trimester, you know, preeclampsia, mm-hmm. uh, gestational diabetes, um, a lot of times, like, uh, one of the things that really makes me uncomfortable is that, you know, you walk into a doctor's office. I have nothing against doctors, but they tend to be healthy people. So, uh, or and they also tend not to be African-Americans. And so when you walk in and the first thing you talk about is your weight. And it's like, okay, like, this is something that's a stress outside of pregnancy, but there's weight gain with pregnancy. And, you know, it's just like, wait up, guys. You know, I don't think you under your talk. I don't think you're uniquely addressing the stresses that we're, we're already fighting right now. So, um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, even after the third trimester, there's the, the choice between are we going to have a cesarean section? Are we going to have a natural birth? Are we going to have, you know, a birth at a hospital? And then there's cascading with, if you decide to go one route specifically, you know, a cesarean, you're going to be in a situation where you're looking at vaginal birth after a cesarean or VBAC when you're having another child or whether you're going to try try to have a, a second cesarean for a second child. So it's like there is a lot of, boy, there's just a, there's a lot of stuff that, that goes into 
10 months of your life where your life is changing, your hormones are changing, your body is changing, your, you know, your environment is changing, you know, your home might be changing because you're trying to adjust to, from having, you know, one room or two rooms or, you know, having a baby room. And all these things are, tend to be carried more by the mother than anything. And then as a father, you're just trying to, trying to keep yourself involved with the process even though you are not the center of the process. So um, it's, it's uh, there, there's a lot that, that goes into this. I don't know if I've lost my mind. Yeah, when well, I listen to you, Nate, if I could say this, I want to bring Dr. Pittman. Yeah, well, no, 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 that's beautiful. If I could bring Dr. Pittman to this, as I listen to you break all of that down, like, why are we not have? I need to have a doctor. If I, I haven't had a child yet, but Doctor Pittman, I think they so. Just hearing what he just said, I need you. To, as soon as I find out, I didn't. Well, I got to get married first, right? When I get married, <laughs> and I'm fortunate, fortunate enough to get my wife pregnant, I think I need you day one because that was a whole lot that brother just explained. Like, like I'm just throwing it out. You, you, you know, you're the professional. Listen to this and break down all that comes with it, and then everything he and Latrice just said, all I'm thinking is for black women specifically, everything is everything you just mentioned is triple-fold because of these additional mm-hmm. stresses. So as a professional, I, I, I want you immediately, day one, based on hearing all of that. So go ahead, Dr. Pittman, if you will. Any thoughts to all of that? Oh, yes, you know, and it is because – as the mother, the woman, the black woman in this plight, right? And even when it comes to our health care, we also as black women have the highest rate of fibroids and and mm. cysts and tumors and mm-hmm. those also impact our ability to um have a baby healthy and us to be physically healthy and then that journey along that so all of what they're saying, it is so compounded and um, it just, I just am so excited that we're having this conversation today because it is all these quiet little things that we go through individually that we see by listing it out how how big it is and how it reaches um, every branch, every limb of our social, economic, mental health, um, fiscal health. It, it just goes across the expand on it and when we just one thing with starting with just a simple talk outside of our comfort zone and and challenging ourselves to grow in that makes a difference and I think we, I, I just continue to if there are any women out here going through it have been through it any fathers out there that went through it going through it again it is a healing process and I cannot stress that over and over. Um, sometimes these mothers call them their angel babies because they are no longer here. Um, and I love, like you were saying earlier, to personify because that gives them a name and gives them something grounded to say, this was real. This did happen. And also a place to embrace the good, the bad, the painful, and turn it around to reframe it, to look at the lesson why we went through this experience and what does it mean that our relationships survived it? Because oftentimes relationships suffer and um, a lot of couples break up when there are, when there are traumas and tragedies, just because the pain is so raw and they cannot find the safety to talk to each other about the pain. 
No, I'm glad you brought that up. That's exactly where I was about to go for our, our last segment. We got one more break uh, as, as well. But um, but let me say this before we even segue into what you just talked about, Dr. Pittman. And if nothing else, and I'm assuming everybody would be in agreement on, on, on this show at this moment, if nothing else, it's just once again us imploring our community to be to discuss these things, to be open about them, um, you know, because we can create that environment. Whereas, understanding it is natural to retreat within ourselves, even more so for our community. But we constantly, when especially when it comes to mental health, we constantly talk about how that, in, in a sense, creates more issues. Um, quite often, because mm-hmm. we don't bring these things to the forefront, and so obviously having this conversation is and against almost from a male's perspective again i'm glad that we're doing this conversation but it's just really all i'm hearing everybody do everybody is basically imploring for anybody who hears this show you know be that trendsetter who in a sense is empathetic to somebody with the experience take these lessons like the, you know one of the greatest things i feel like i learned and we're going to go to this quick break one thing i feel like i learned from nate was just the idea of doing sentimental things for a miscarriage as if, because it mm-hmm. is a loss, but that's a, that's an idea we've never thought of. I've never thought of until you said it, Nate, so I thank you for that. But if we will, let's go to this quick break. When we come back, I want to implore a little bit before in our last segment just the stress that it put on the actual relationship, and I want to kind of hear your, your specifically if, if there were those type of scenarios in your our relationship as well, Nate. We'll be right back and listen to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478 781 Four eight six zero. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478-781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. If you have a product or a service you want to get out to the smartest audience in all of radio, please contact me again at 404-604-9477. If you're on IG or Facebook, just inbox me. I have amazing advertising rates. Uh, we reached about 9,000 fees this week through our social media, and it can go up to 15,000. So we have a decent reach. But, again, if you or have a product or a service, you know reaching out to smart people, they're pretty good about supporting um, quality products. So we definitely look forward to hearing from you in, in that regard. And if you are an individual without a business or a service, please go to mentaldialogue.com and consider supporting uh, the Mental Dialogue Community Club uh, via individual contributions 
definitely keep smart and intelligent radio on the air. So I have to make that public service announcement every week because we do need your support. Thank y'all. Thank you, um, Latrice, Dr. Pittman, and Nate for being with us. Um, what I wanted to go, and kind of Dr. Pittman just mentioned the idea of the stress that there are people who actually break up through experiences such as this. So, Nate, what I wanted to ask you is a question I had on my mind even prior to the show was just the idea of um, what type of stress from the standpoint of whereas the assumption is these scenarios possibly could bring couples closer. Like that's just the assumption for a lot of us outside looking in like, wow, they had to go through that together. So you would think of it as bringing you closer. But but I could only imagine from a mental health standpoint, all of the questions as you mentioned earlier, like, you know, am I lacking? And, of course, we do understand that plenty of women definitely take on that role that, you know, that they're lacking or some women will go as far as they're not able to provide you a child. Like they'll take that on with much more onus. And I know when that type of stress comes into a you know, into a relationship, sometimes it can make it, you know, again, you actually not come together, but you move further apart because the, each partner is not happy with how the other person is responding. So any experience with, uh, you know, maybe not, not coming together, but just having to figure it out um, after having some of those experiences, any thoughts on that, uh, Nate? I'm sorry, brother, I had you on mute. Let me bring you back up. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Oh, we got you live. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. We had to get a dog, um, and uh, <laughs> I think what what it's it's funny that we had to get a dog. But I think the dog, um, uh, his name was Tito. Our last name's Jackson, so he ended up being Tito Jackson. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, the thing about getting a dog was, um, at first, getting a dog was just something to just to just stop the spiral. But I think what the dog ended up doing um, was he ended up giving us a vessel for our grief, you know. And um, the dog was a puppy when we got the dog, and he was just, you know, growing up. And it, so we kind of got a little bit of the of the toddler, a little bit of the baby, a little bit of the toddler, a little bit of the, the small child. Um, but I think what it also did was it forestalled some of the grief because when we had a lifestyle change and we changed careers and we changed cities and we changed all these things, we realized that we couldn't keep the dog anymore. And so there was almost this second, if you will, we had to mm-hmm. essentially have that emotional funeral that we didn't have before by displacing it onto an animal. And I, so I think what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, um, uh, it, it can't be one thing. It can't be one moment. It can't be one time. It has to be, uh, a process. Now, I'm not, you know, it, I'm not saying, you know, make it bigger than it is if it's not that big of a deal because, you know, everyone responds to this very differently. But what I am saying is is that um don't put yourself in a situation where you have to where you are um treating the side effects instead of treating the illness. And deep down what the illness might be is infertility or disappointment, or or family stress. You know, like my parents were a lot of times were honest, like, when are we going to get grandbabies? And I know they were they were just trying to, you know, they were just being parents. But, like, those those things tend to cascade, and those questions are questions that you have to live with in life in general. They're not just questions about having kids, mm-hmm. you know. And so 
um, definitely, like, getting to the point where you're not just dealing with the side effects, but you're dealing with what is at the root of it, and the desire to have kids may be at the root of it, and that is that is okay. But making sure that you're in a position where you're addressing those instead of simply trying to change the subject or change the atmosphere or change the wall color or something like that. Um, now, that especially, makes sense. So here's, let me guess you one. Oh, no, go ahead. I didn't mean yeah. to cut you off. Go ahead, King. No, 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 no. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. The questions are better. Go okay, ahead. cool. Yeah, here's one question I want to hear Dr. Pittmaster. Here's one question, one quick question. This is like a direct question. Um, is basically, from your standpoint, you know, as, as the husband, per se, for your wife in particular, based on your relationship, going through this, whether it's the first time or unfortunately for you several times, what do you think you did good and maybe what did you learn that you didn't do as well and maybe you learned from, unfortunately, again, having had this experience? But I just want to kind of hear it from you as a man, like, you know, you know, again, what did I, what I, I think I did this part good, but I didn't do this so well. Or what would she might say after the first time, Nate, I wish you would have done this and maybe you learned from it, if that makes sense. Um, I, I have to admit, I don't look at that that way. I don't look at what I did wrong. But um, here's the number one thing I did, I think that I did good, was that we stayed in the relationship. And um, what what I mean by that is that um, we, I, 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 I worked and was successfully able to give her the space that she needed to grieve. And we were able to come out of those, those situations um, stronger than we went into them. Now, it might not have looked that way. You know, it, it, it looks that way in hindsight, you know, um, in hindsight. Um, I think the other thing, too, is understanding you can't buy the happiness. You cannot buy the happiness. Like, this is not the time to run out and get a handbag. This is not the time to run out and get the shoes. It's time to, it's time to turn and, and say we're in a situation where we cannot buy our way out of this. We cannot... Um, we cannot run our way out of this. We cannot negotiate our way out of this. So we need to double mm-hmm. down on what's keeping us together at the end of the day. So um, All right, that makes sense, Doctor. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yep, Doctor. Yeah, Doctor Pittman. Any thoughts about what he just said? I think those are very powerful lessons, and people can take and learn from. But any thoughts from you, um, from your professional standpoint? Yeah, I do think those were powerful points that he pointed out. And, again, it's knowing it's a process and being willing to be there with each other um, through that process because everybody in that situation is having to deal with loss or grief as an individual and as a couple. And sometimes that conflict can come when the other person doesn't think the other person is sad. Or it may have been a relationship where, um, and, and sometimes we find ourselves in a relationship that has its strengths and its weaknesses, and yet we're still in the relationship. And so it, it, all it takes is an unfortunate situation like this um, miscarriage to put the couples at end with each other and being able to again, um, pull together and acknowledge, hey, we're, we're, we're angry. We're angry about a lot of stuff. We're definitely being triggered by our loss that we just had, mm-hmm. but it also stems from some other things that maybe um, we were trying to numb out of again. And I agree with Nate again about 
um, transferring the pain or delaying the grief. Grief is very, very patient and very, very selfish. And so no matter where you are in the process, immediately when you get a trigger a month later or 10 years down the line, if there is grief, it doesn't mean you didn't heal back then. It just means that this is a grief spurt. It's coming out, and it will have its way, and it needs to be able to be welcomed in the space of, okay, I found myself, you know, just thinking about that season and grieve it, mourn it, process from it so that you can carry it forward. And even if it's going back to your companion and say, you know, the other day I was just thinking about the baby again. And, you know, whatever your thoughts are on that, as a touch point to let us know that we can still go forward, have these moments of emotional um, break down again about it and go back to each other, build each other up and use it as a marker to say it's not it's it's okay to think about it again and not be held bondage to it. No, that's actually I think that's amazing because I think Nate mentioned it and you're just obviously giving a professional viewpoint of But if you're giving your professional viewpoint just in reference to um, how it is natural to try to say, oh, I should be blocking this out. This happened so long ago. And you're saying, no, don't block it out. Go ahead and allow mm-hmm. yourself to experience that emotion and, and that, that actually is more healthier. And so I think that's just a, a beautiful insight for somebody that, again, maybe hears this who doesn't think to do it. Because I know I tend to do that. As, as you say, we go inward where I'm just like, okay, I shouldn't be feeling this. So I block it out versus actually going through it and now – yeah. being in a better space to go forward versus, you know, burying it. It, it may come out in unhealthy ways. Um, Latrice, if we will, any um, last quick thoughts from you? And I want to, um, get, you know, get obviously get Nate's final thoughts uh, for this. We've got about two and a half minutes before the end of the show, and I want to play, just giving everybody a heads up, we're going to play a spoken word piece at the end of the show at the top of the hour. Um, Latrice, any last thoughts from you in reference to this morning's discussion? No, just other than that, we definitely need to be intentional in including both partners um, in our comforting and reassurances when um, a miscarriage occurs and not um, inadvertently leave the male partner out of out of that process. I absolutely agree. Um, Nate, if you will, King, I'm going to give you, um, if you will, any Final thoughts you would kind of like to leave us with. I want to let Dr. Pittman give out her professional information. And if you, if you get a second, you can even highlight, you know, I'm looking, I think you know I've reached out to your wife, um, Dr. Carter Kelly Jackson, too, in reference to her book. So we want to get her on in the future. So you can even throw that out real quick, even though it's not related to this morning's discussion. But if you will, any final thoughts on this morning's discussion, first and foremost? But thank you for being with us, Dave. Yeah, I appreciate the ability to come and talk to you guys about this. Uh, it's actually um, – it helped me out a lot just in being able to stand and talk about it. But uh, one of the things that helped my wife a lot, a lot was the book Waiting for Daisy about dealing with infertility and uh, and, and miscarriages. Um, I, if I have a final thought, it is um, don't let this be something that splits your relationship apart. Let this be something that builds your relationship up. So look at your situation, look at your life holistically instead of uh, instead of specifically. You know, it's not it's not just a miscarriage. What it is is it is something that happens in life that in our society we do not talk about. It is you are not you're not 
special. You, I mean, you're not cursed. You're not, you know, you're you're not by yourself. Number one, you're not by nah, yourself. Nah, thank you for those thoughts. Nah, thank you for yeah. those thoughts, Doctor Pippen. If you will give out any of your professional information before top of that, real quick. Yes, my office is in East Point. I'm Dr. Pittman. The name of my business is A Paradigm Shift. And you can find me on my Facebook page, A Paradigm Shift, or Twitter, A underscore Paradigm Shift. And my telephone number is 404-808-3419. And the webpage is DRK. Pittman, P-I-T-T-M-A-N dot com. And I'd love to talk about this and any other areas of healing. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Count all. This is a great, incredible discussion. And if you will, we're going to end it with an amazing spoken word piece in reference to this morning's discussion. Very eye-opening. Take a listen. We'll see you all next Saturday. All I ask is that you take. It is now our fifth miscarriage. And the explanations of the voice themselves from other cavaliers. The doctors have told us that because my wound walls are too weak, we'll be considered an incomplete couple for the remainder of our lives. I'm telling myself that God doesn't make mistakes. But this time, you got to explain it to me. I never knew that my wound was a trap door to purgatory. My main purpose poured out of me like a premature parachute. Now my baby.